Welcome to the State Support Team 11 podcast. I'm your host, Eric Neal, and today we are joined by Dr. Antoinette Miranda. Dr. Miranda is a professor and director at The Ohio State University School Psychology Program. She also represents District 6 on the State Board of Education and is the interim chair of teaching and learning at Ohio State. Uh, Welcome, Dr. Miranda. How are you today? I'm fine. It's good to be here. Great to have you. Uh, Today we're talking about cultural competency. Can you tell us a little bit about cultural competency and the work that you do at Ohio State? Yeah, you know, the simple definition for cultural competency is the ability to understand and interact effectively with people from other cultures. Um, You know, it's um, oftentimes thought of as a three-legged stool, and we can talk about that a little bit um, later but I think that is kind of the simplest definition. Um, In a more detailed version, it's really sort of seen as the values, behaviors, and attitude and practices within a system, such as a school system, organization program, or among individuals, which enables them to work effectively across cultures. And at Ohio State, I think the significance that I, the work that I've done with cultural competence is that the school psychology program has an urban and social justice focus. And so we really train our students to be culturally competent so that they can go anywhere to work, whether it's a rural, suburban, or urban district. And we find that to be really important. And so some of the things we do are making sure that it's embedded in all of our classes, that the practicum experience they have is in our urban school district. But one of the things I always tell our students, even though it's an urban program, you're going to be able to take the skills that we've given you to any type of district, because a lot of it is really about poverty. Um, So, you know, I feel pretty confident in the training we have, and many of our students, particularly that have gone to rural districts, have found the training to be very beneficial in helping them to be able to work with students and be able to look at students through not only their lens, but through the lens of students. Yeah, that that definitely uh, resonates with me. You know, it's something that I think is beneficial to anybody, really, that's working in any field, but especially education. Uh, you've been, just been uh, reelected to the State Board of Education. Congratulations. Uh, how does this work impact what you do with the board? Yes. Yeah, thank you. And I want to thank everybody that voted for me and had the confidence in reelecting me. Um, you know, the four years that I've been on the board, I think the notion of cultural competence is really important because in the state of Ohio, we have really diverse districts. Um, You know, we have over 600 districts that are in urban, rural, suburban areas. And I think in order to be effective, we have to understand how the districts are different and what their populations, how their populations are different because populations need different things, whether you're in a rural area, whether you're in an urban area. Um, So I think being, having cultural competence Um, helps you make better decisions that benefit all the students of Ohio. And so we've really been um, really doing that work and making sure we bring it to light in terms of having really good discussions about making sure that students in these different districts have the kind of resources that they need and that fit fit the identified uh, issues that may be occurring, such as one of the things we've most recently seen with COVID-19 is the lack of broadband and the lack of... um, Uh, computers. And um, understanding that's very prevalent in both urban and rural areas, because one of the things we understand is that oftentimes there are low-income families that don't have their own computer. That's very different than maybe what's happening in suburban schools. So we've had to find some different ways that we can begin to address these issues. Yeah, that that really uh, makes a lot of sense. And 
I think that, you know, a lot of people sometimes when they hear the term cultural competency, you know, they're, they're kind of imagining one thing, but yeah. really it's about any sort of group. It, it's not necessarily, you know, one ethnic group or, or one religious group or anything like that. No, I think it's just being aware. And I think the other thing to be aware is that many of the, many of us, there's a lot of similarities between us. But there are also some differences that we have to address as we begin to think about what interventions are effective, understanding the families, understanding the environments that they live in, understanding their communities. So I think it's very broad in terms of um, kind of understanding the many groups that you may be working with in your districts or in any other organization that you may be a part of. Definitely. You know, with all of the polarization and social justice issues in society today, you know, do you see cultural competency as a bridge to addressing these challenging topics? You know, I do. And yesterday I just had my last diversity class. And this is a course that I love teaching. And um, one of the things that, you know, I'm always reminded of when I teach the class is that my goal is really to um, get any type of student that's in the class. And I had students that were doctors, I had students that were marriage and family therapists, that were in school psychologists. And ultimately, it's about raising the awareness and looking at themselves and thinking about how can I make, uh, how can I make a difference. But in part, one of the things they all say is that they had to understand the history of our country. They had to understand why the United States is the way it is. And they often talk about the history that they don't get in, in their schooling. And I think it does make a difference about giving them a broader view of what the world, especially the United States, looks like. And when they do that, and when we have really courageous conversations, because many of them never really talked about race because it's sort of a taboo subject. But in here, we try to create an environment where they can ask questions and share their many different perspectives. And what they learn is that you have 20 people in the class, but there's 20 different perspectives. Um, and, you know, when they get to the end, it's really amazing looking at how they've grown, how they've begun to look at themselves, how they've begun to look at um, the work that they're going to be doing and how they can make a difference. So, to me, um, education is critically important in terms of understanding the real history of the United States, but oftentimes we're very fearful of the unknown. And so we wanna have sort of a myth about what, how things really operate without really knowing the truth. Um, and so until we have these conversations and we're willing to take risks and to engage in conversations with other people, um, you know, I want to be optimistic that the polarization and social and that the focus on social justice will happen. And I am encouraged by the last six months of how many people have really started to examine these issues in much more critical ways rather than putting their head in the sand, because that's what a lot of times we do. And when you do that, you don't really get to learn and begin to open your eyes to things that are different out there. Yeah, when, when you've been around uh, a long time like I have, you, you've seen these, these big moments kind of spring up where yeah. you have a huge, uh, you know, atrocity, terrible thing happen and people are just locked in and so motivated for a minute. Yeah. And then it seems like it goes away and just goes back to normal, just how things were. And then, you know, you repeat the cycle over and over again. But I, I'm kind of with you. I, I feel like something felt different 
in the last six months where, yes. where you had people from every walk of life and every group standing up together at the same time saying, you know, th- th- it's gone too far. We really, yeah. we really can't go on this way anymore. And, and the fact that it, it really hasn't left and that these conversations are still taking place, I think that really mm-hmm. is encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so early on you uh, described cultural competency as a three-legged stool. What do each of those legs stand for? So cultural competency really involves three areas. So that's the three-legged stool. And the first one is awareness and just developing a personal awareness. The second one is developing knowledge of other cultures and then finally development of skills. And, you know, where, and one of the things I see, especially you were talking about being around for a while, so have, so have I. And so when we first started doing a lot of diversity training, we really focused on the second leg, um, knowledge. But when we did that, we didn't really examine our own personal awareness. And I often say to understand another culture, you have to understand your own culture. So one of the things I have my class do is they have to write a cultural heritage paper because I want the students to really think about how they were socialized how they were socialized to think about majority and minority people and how did they come to be. And many of the students think, I don't have a culture, but in writing the paper, they discover they do have a culture. It may not be German or Irish, but it may be a small town culture. It may be the culture of religion that has really guided them. And to me, awareness is really critical. That's why we talk a lot about doing the implicit bias with the Kerwin Institute. You can go on and take many of those tests. And so students really start to think about, wow, how do I view these things? Um, and then the knowledge comes. And the knowledge, you know, we talk about the different groups, but also understanding their cultures on a continuum. That's why at the beginning, I think we made mistakes when we said, oh, we're going to come in and tell you about Latina culture. We're going to come in and tell you about Black Americans. But we only talked about a segment, and we really didn't look at the continuum and really understand how social class really makes it. And that really impacts much of the stuff we're talking about. Um, again, we go very broadly. We talk about religion. We talk about LGBTQ. And so we really try to begin to think about what is that knowledge. And then the third part is skills. And my sense is if you have the awareness and knowledge, the skills will come because you're going to practice differently. Once you have this awareness about not only your personal self, but the other groups, and then you have this knowledge, to me, you can't help but practice in a culturally responsive way that you're going to look at things very differently. And, and, you know, I'm really encouraged because I always tell my students, I hope you have more questions than answers when you leave this class, because if you do, you want to keep exploring and trying to find those. And, you know, as I'm reading their reflection papers, those are the things they talk about, what they learn, how they see things differently, what it will mean for them in their job. And so they're already starting to think about how do I take this awareness and knowledge and apply it to my future work? And for me, that's very encouraging. Yeah, it, it, we talked a little bit, you know, before when we were planning for, for the podcast and I, I got so many things floating around in my mind. <laughs> and it, it, just on the awareness piece, it made me think back to uh, I was a history major. Yes. And I was really interested in history when I was in elementary school and, you know, you're in fourth grade, you get your state history and, you know, going through middle school and all these things. And uh, I felt like I, I really had a good understanding of it until I went to college and you, you dig deeper into these things and you realize that, that some of the stuff that you just took is, well, this is just what it was, is, yes. you know, very biased or leaves mm-hmm. a lot of stuff out or all of these different things. And so, you know, I think people even 
even who are intentionally trying to be aware of things still mm -hmm. really can benefit from this deeper dive into to figuring out you know, who, who they are and what they believe as a gateway to, to go in and have those deeper discussions. Yeah. I, you know, I'll give a, a great examples of so many of my students have talked about this with awareness um, because college actually is a great place for people to become more aware. And so many of my students who come from small towns, for example, talk about going to college and all of a sudden, you know, they came from towns that were very homogeneous and they go to college and all of a sudden, there's this whole world of people that are culturally different than them. They have roommates that are Indian or, or, um, or African-American, and they begin to have best friends that are from these different cultures. And all of a sudden, their awareness becomes different. Um, and they, they often talk about how going to college in a diverse setting expands their worldview and how, in many respects, they do talk about how sometimes they're different than the people back in their town and realizing in part is because they don't get the experience of being with people that are culturally different in so many ways, whether it's socioeconomic status, whether it's race, ethnicity, LGBTQ. So, you know, I think the awareness is the most critical piece. And, and I think it's one of the most important piece in cultural competency. You have to have that before you get into knowledge, because if you do knowledge, you, I'll give an example. You may make the mistake of being what we call the, um, the, the syndrome of being the savior. You know, you go into the urban schools and you want to be the savior. They don't need a savior. They need somebody who's going to be an advocate, lift them up, provide rigorous lessons. But you also have to understand what is your own bias that you may be experiencing. And sometimes they don't even realize it. But sometimes it's the kind of things they say. Well, they say, well, you know, you know, they, we have to leave, uh, leave them kind of alone. Their dad's in jail. Their mother's a drug addict. Okay, what does that have to do with anything? Right. You know, school now. And so just being aware of that, the, the bias. This may be a brilliant kid despite everything that happened with their parents. And so you as a teacher have the opportunity to lift them and give and show them opportunities that may be there in spite of their parents. So I think just being aware of our own biases that we may, that we may have that we're not even aware of. And a lot of times my students will say, wow, I didn't realize I had this bias, but I discovered that I have this bias against blah, 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 blah. So I think the awareness to me is the most critical piece. And, and you know, I think conversations, courageous conversations allow you to broaden that awareness, but you have to be in safe spaces. And right. so um, that's one thing I really try to create for my class so people feel like they can ask anything and they can talk about these difficult subjects. Yeah, I think that's, that's part of, you know, when you, when you move on to that knowledge aspect, it's really, it's not like I'm going to learn all these things and now I'm culturally right. competent and, right. and everything's fixed. And, you know, like you said, I can go off and save everyone. Yeah. It's about being knowledgeable about the topic and the aspects of it and, and really being grounded in that idea of it's, it's not a finish line. It's a journey that you yes. constantly need to be thinking about and, and practicing and, and working in. Uh, I, because you know, a lot of times people think, well, I'll go to a two-hour professional development. I have the knowledge. Right. I'm the expert. I'm going to take it back. I'm going to train yeah. everybody. That, that's, not, that's not really it. That's not enough. It's, um, you know, I tell people, if you're going to do bring the Kerwin Institute or do implicit bias for an hour session, that's not enough. You know? And don't think, oh, I did this implicit bias training. I'm good. Yeah. No, it's 
broader. And, you know, we, you know, when we were talking before, as we were preparing, I was sharing just my experience working in New York City in District 23, one of the impoverished districts. And that's one of the things that I did is that I just learned the community. It was, it was all black and Latino. Um, you know, we had West Indies from Jamaica, Trinidad, Tobago. And I used many of my colleagues as cultural mediators to try to understand as a school psychologist, what should I know about a kid coming from Jamaica? And there was a difference of whether they lived in the city or whether they lived in the country. And just ask questions because my whole thing was I wanted to make sure I practiced in a way that honored the students and, and really was fair to them. But I also understood that I had to understand this population, that even though I looked like them, my experiences were different. I came from the Midwest. You know, I had not seen poverty quite like this. Um, and so it was a, a tremendous training ground in terms of thinking about what I wanted to do in the future, especially in terms of training educators to be able to work with um, students that were culturally different than them. So it's things that I did, like I didn't even know they were cultural, called cultural mediators until I really got to the university and started studying this, but that's what I used them for. And it was very instructive and very helpful to kind of really learn about the populations. So I didn't go in and say, oh, let me learn all about Jamaicans, but I learned the general things about what is it about this population that I need to know? And part of it was understanding what was it about them coming from that country? What was their schooling system like? So, you know, I think people sort of get caught up with, oh my God, I need to know everything about African-Americans. No, you don't have to know everything, but you have to know your community and the people in your community and be able to know what are some of the things that may be unique that you need to know as a teacher or educator. Right. It, it seems like it's not, it's not about knowing it to be able to just take them from one box and put them in another box. Right, it's about right. knowing it to be able to uh, adjust the way that you do your work. Yes, so absolutely. You're meeting the needs and making sure that everybody's included. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So um, MTSS, a multi-tiered system of support, it's becoming you know, a big focus in education here in Ohio. When I think about the right side of the pyramid where PBIS lives, um, I, I've heard it called the climate culture side of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I see things like social and emotional learning, restorative justice, uh, you know, and other whole child initiatives. How does cultural competency fit in with all of this important work? So as I told you, I love MTSS, and I hope that every district can do it and do it correctly. I'm here with you. Yeah, so that's really important. And I, and I agree about the cultural climate. And, you know, the cultural competency piece, again, means you have to know your school. You have to know the different groups in your school. And, you know, you may want to do a cultural climate survey, and it's looking at, oftentimes, and like in high school especially, we sort of have... Um, I remember doing some work in a suburban school and they had a, you know, a certain way that they want students to be. And I said, what happens to the other students that don't fit into that? And what was interesting is that they said, well, you know, that's probably the people that fit into what we call whatever. It's only about 25% of the students. So I said, what happens to the other 75%? And I said, and so what they do is they start to perform, they start to form cliques that fit because they sometimes feel outside. So as we look at climate culture and as we look at developing a school that all students feel like they belong, I think it's really important to 
kind of get a handle on that and understand and not be afraid to say, you know, we have a lot of African-Americans in our school and we have some that are middle class and some that are low income, just like we have a lot of whites in our school. Some are middle class and some are low income. Is there a difference in how they see the school? Is there a difference in how we treat them? And those are hard questions that sometimes teachers may have to ask because they may find that, wow, if the kid is lower income, I don't push them as that much. And one of the phrases is that we need to figure out how to empower all of our students, not enable our students. So to me, as you're thinking about cultural climate and that PBIS piece, you have to have this cultural competency because it means you're going to ask questions differently than what you typically do. And it also may mean you have to ask hard questions and come up with different things. Because I think one of the biggest problems, I'll take suspension, for example, we know that black males um, are um, more likely to be suspended. And one of the things that I talk to a lot of principals about is we got to put different things in our toolbox because the reason why we suspend is that we don't have a lot of things in our toolbox. So PBIS should help us have more things in our toolbox so we can get rid of the disproportionality as it relates to suspension and expulsions. Yeah, it, it, it really does seem like you, you've, you can't do all those things separately as these different initiatives, it's really about thinking, how, how do I create this, this culture, this at, not, not like a check, I checked the box, we have a great culture right. in our building, but a culture of people that want to have these type of conversations because they care about families and students right. and are willing to do the hard work. So yeah, that, that really- Guess what, it means you may have to talk to the students. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah and the parents, oh, and, and not, not talk to them like, hey, I'm telling you this, like, Find out what they need. Like, yeah. actually find out. Do you out. feel like you belong in this school? Right. That's a very telling question. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things we really, you know, I'm very proud of at the State Board of Education is the strategic plan we did, which really is focused on the whole child, really looks at equity and looks at social emotional learning. I think those are critical things. And I'm really just pleased that the state school support teams are really focused on those things because I think that really will make a difference in so many of the lives of our students. I couldn't agree more. So if someone's listening to this and, and you know, they'd like to jump in and get their feet wet, they, they you know, can't do a, a full course, a semester course at Ohio State, but they, they really want to, you know, start to, to learn more and, and develop themselves a little bit. What are a couple of things you could recommend for them to get started? Yeah, and two of them are on YouTube. <clears throat> They're actually videos, but I sort of see this as a part of the awareness piece. And it really, I think they're really powerful in terms of thinking, especially if you're in diverse schools. Um, I think it's really powerful. And the first one is a single story. And you can just put it in there. It is by Chimamanda Adichie, who is from Nigeria and does this wonderful YouTube that talks about the single story. And to me, that is because a, a lot of times we become guilty of only seeing our students in one way. And then the other one is John Powell. I just love to hear him talk. He has a wonderful, soothing voice. And, he, and on YouTube there, it's called The Keynote, The Mechanism of Othering. And what's interesting about this one is that it's a 2015 um, YouTube presentation, but he could have done it in 2020. It is so striking to me that he literally could give the same speech in 2020 and it would right on yeah I, I think if you if you're kind of thinking about this awareness stage i think that one and then one of the most timely and it's been around forever and i think every cultural diversity class uses it is peggy mcintosh's unpacking the invisible knapsack 
Um, and I think that's another very powerful piece. So if you're kind of thinking just about awareness and looking at things a little bit differently, I think these are three great pieces to start with and gives you some food for thought, I guess, um, as you begin to look at the kids that may be in your classroom. Or, you know, and even if you don't have a diverse school, I think it also helps you think about the, uh, the United States in terms of looking at the diversity and what may be occurring. Yeah, the, the single story video, <laughs> I, I really liked it because I felt like it was accessible enough for yeah. to, to where people could, they felt, you know, comfortable enough, they could identify, there, were, there was, almost, you know, like something for everyone there, but it also didn't let you off the hook. It, right, it, exactly. It really, it really forces you into reckoning with a couple things yeah. where you're thinking, well, that's not me. And then you think, well, it might be a little bit me. And, yeah. you know, so. That, well, and I thought that was what's powerful about it because she even says how she became, she felt yeah. to the single story. And so sometimes, even as we, you know, are culturally diverse, you know, again, we're all on that journey. And I tell my students, we're all on this journey. I'm still on the journey. And so I think that's the other reason why it's very powerful. Definitely. So I know you're hard at work preparing for some culturally responsive practices, professional development that will take place this summer. Can you preview that for us? Well, one of the things we're hoping in the Department of Teaching and Learning is putting together a series of classes. And we're kind of really focused on um, kind of the anti-racism agenda. And um, hopefully when I'm back with you, um, we will have kind of our outline. And we're hoping to not only have some classes, but have some CEUs that teachers can use for professional development um, with this theme of looking at culturally responsive practice. So I hope that we're working very diligently to be able to roll some of these out. Um, many of them will be online, so that may be very attractive to people since we're all used to being online now, but um, we'll make it accessible to people. So hopefully as we put that together, I will be able to share that with you. Definitely, that would be great. I mean, culturally responsive practices, it sounds like the way that we take all that work with the three-legged stool and actually put it to use. And, you know, I really look forward to having you back to talk about that in the future. Yeah, that's the next step. In many ways, that's the skills part of it. And so if you have the first two, then you you kind of merge into culturally responsive practices. Definitely. If people would like to know more about you and the work that you do, where should they go? I was going to say I have a website, but I couldn't tell you what it is. Isn't that right? <laughs> but you can email me at Miranda.2 at OSU.edu if you have questions or if you want more information, suggestion for books. Um, I encourage you to reach out to me. I will be happy to respond to you. It may be a couple days, but I will get back with you um, in terms of um, trying to provide some information to you. Great. Uh, Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Miranda for joining us today. Uh, If you'd like to know more about upcoming cultural competency events, cultural responsive practices events, and the work that we do here at State Support Team 11, go to our website. That's sst11.org. Give us a call at 614-753-4694 or hit us up on Twitter. We're at SSTRegion11. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I'm at E-R-I-C dot N-E-A-L at E-S-C-C-O dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Eric Neal. Thanks for listening.